And the next bats, I was like, I'm not doing this. I was too scared. I faked a stomach ache. Yeah. Told my coach, I don't feel good. Cause I didn't want to face it. I was too scared. And I, I went and told my mom afterwards and she says, you do what? And she called my coach, my coach, uh, as I mean, I'm 10 years old, 11 years old. I had to talk. I had to openly tell my teammates how I let them down. From Viton Career Coaching, it's How I Got Here, a show about business leaders, their resilience, and the stories behind their career moves. I'm Vincent Famvan, and I've interviewed thousands of job candidates over the years in both recruiting and as a former corporate executive. Now, I'm on a mission to help you take the next step in your career. A corporate job opening attracts an average of 250 resumes, and just one person is going to get hired. It wasn't all that long ago that I was nervous and frustrated by my job search, but it doesn't have to be this way. You can navigate your career with confidence, spend every day learning, and drive to better yourself. You can be excited about the future. In today's episode, we meet Casey Jacox, a sales and leadership coach. His book, entitled Win the Relationship, Not the Deal, came out last year. In this episode, Casey tells the stories behind his 20 plus years in business and how to win more relationships. It started all at a younger age though. Yeah, I was, we grew up in, I'd say um, middle, middle class. I had great loving parents. I had uh, grew up with a sister who's um, a couple years younger than me. Um, always in sports, always busy. Thankfully my parents, uh, you know, they, they kept me as naive as, as long as they could. And I think mm-hmm. that's still passed on to a 44 year old naive optimist. Uh, but loving, um, you know, one thing I talked about on my podcast is, you know, I think my, my dad, you know, I think when a generation where there wasn't a lot of, um, super, a lot of affection of, I love you is something that I'm trying to, and it wasn't like it negatively impacted me. I just, it's something I want comfortable in my family and as whether it's, whether you're a man, woman, I just don't think we, we talk about that enough, whether it's your friend, Taylor, like I've been sending some texts to my friends who are, are police officers now. I'm just saying, I love you. I just be stay safe thinking about you. Yeah. Um, and so then that, that's one thing, um, that I've, I've gained from my family experience, but really growing up, it's just, it was great. A lot of laughter, a lot of fun. A lot of, sometimes my dad would drop a scary GD bomb every once in a while and I had to kind of like stay low. But other than that, a lot of giggles. I think that's to an extent, something that everybody can relate to. As Casey grew up, the way that his parents earned a living also ended up having an impact on his work ethic. My dad sold um, appliances at Whirlpool for years. Mm-hmm. And my mom was the office manager at a, a health clinic. And then my mom took a, a small break, was a teacher, and then she went, went back. So we were, and so it's funny, like, you know, at home by ourselves at fifth grade, and, and I'd wake up and I'd remember seeing the chore list of like 12 pages long. I'm like, are you kidding me? No way. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, my kids now, like, they don't have the chores list. We, maybe I'm feeling like I'm that old guy now talking about going up the hill in snow, but the, a lot of chores, a lot of, uh, a lot of my parents outsourced that well. I mean, what did that, how did you feel as a child growing up having that chore list? I mean, it, I guess it would just be like, this is life and you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what other families are doing. Yeah. I mean, well, it's funny. My, one of my best friends, a guy named Smith, he actually, he lives right next door to me now. 
um, we're, where we're camped out right now in quarantine life. And, uh, his, his mom did the same thing where we had, we, uh, so it's like, yeah, exactly. We didn't know. We didn't know mm-hmm. he had his two hours of chores. I had my two hours of chores. And I kept thinking like, is there, how much there this much laundry? Like I don't, <laughs> my dad doesn't work out. It's not like, like I work out a lot now. So I know, I know why we go through laundry, but like, what the heck? And some of the chores, man, I, I, you know, they should not have outsourced me. Like my dad asked me to paint the house one time and it was, that's not the a worst. That's a project. No. Right. And I, I had no business, no yeah. business painting a house. And I think, I don't know, I'm even just lazy, but like he outsourced it. And then me and my buddy started it. And then like about two days in, my dad said, you guys are done. This is horrendous. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> what, you know, tell me about a moment that stands out from you, for you, from your childhood in terms of your, either your dad or your mom really teaching you a lesson. Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, the one that comes to mind was uh, sixth grade. And I can't believe it just this made me think of the sixth grade. I'm playing baseball. And it was the first time playing fast pitch. Oh, take, take the back. Fifth grade. First time playing like overhand, like fit, baseball. And I remember this guy threw like 7,000 miles an hour. And I got to the plate and I have felt the anxiety, the butterflies, the fear. And I was like, he walked me and I got to first base. I was like, thank God I didn't get hit. Mm-hmm. And then the second, the next bats, I was like, I'm not doing this. I was too scared. I faked a stomach ache. Yeah. Told my coach, I don't feel good. Cause I didn't want to face. It. I was too scared. And I, I went and told my mom afterwards and she says, you do what? And she called my coach and, um, she told me and she had to call the coach and apologize. My coach, uh, as I mean, I'm 10 years old, 11 years old. I had to talk. I had to openly tell my teammates how I let them down how I told him I'd never happen again. And that level of owning my stuff, my mess, my gaps, you know, I'm 44. That was 30 something years ago. I still remember that like it was yesterday. And it was such a great pivotal moment about being accountable and self-aware and we're all going to make mistakes. But I had, my mom gave me two choices. She could have either said, yeah, let's let's let my son not have to deal with tough times, but she didn't. She put me through the fire and I'm glad she did it. And my, my, both my mom and my dad, but um, that's one that definitely stands out as a, an uncomfortable moment of embarrassment. Cause I, you know, I didn't want to be the wussy guy, but, um, it made me stronger, mentally tougher. And, you know, I was able to thankfully keep going on. My teammates appreciated the authenticity of it, but that's, that's probably the number one story that comes to mind. It sounds like that's definitely had an impact on you. You know, you've written a book now about relationships, which we'll get into later on in the episode, but a lot of a lot of succeeding in your relationships is fulfilling your commitments to other people. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I mean, that was just the first line of leader of uh, adversity that I went through. I, I mean, the, I think the bigger one, if you, if you got time for another story, um, the most impactful moment happened to me when I was in high school and um, I was our starting quarterback my junior year. Uh, I beat out a guy that everyone thought I shouldn't beat out. He ended up playing in the uh, major leagues uh, mm-hmm. senior, senior year. Um, I had a great summer camp of like going to college camps and all of a sudden I was like, holy smokes, I might start getting recruited. University of Washington was talking to me. Um, a few other schools was called the big sky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the jamborees, but it's like, like a, pra- a practice games before the season starts. And the last play of the jamboree, my senior year, I break my foot in four spots and have surgery two hours later. Mm. So everything, everything that was supposed to happen didn't. All the schools that were supposed to get recruited by didn't. The guy that was supposed to, that I beat out my junior year now is playing tight end. Yeah. He has to now get thrown into play quarterback. And uh, he, 
uh, goes on to set our single season passing yardage record for most yards in season, took us to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years and was second team all league quarterback, all of which were my goals. And I had to just watch. Mm-hmm. So as a 17, 18 year old immature kid, now I'm wishing he's going to do bad, not being a captain, being yeah. selfish. And that whole experience, Vincent taught me so much about accountability, um, being unselfish. It's not about me. It's about the team. Yeah. And I remember going to my high school coach about three games into the season and I was like depressed, almost in tears saying, I mean, I need, I'm not being a captain. How can I help? And he says, man, thank you for coming to talk. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you know, our offense just as good or better than I do. You want to go help coach? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, go up in the booth and you can help call, help me, help me call plays. Mm-hmm. And all that sadness and anger and frustration went away immediately. And now I had purpose, I had clarity, which are all life skills I end up would be using later as a leader, sales leader, business leader, um, you know, working with large customers. Mm-hmm. Um, all those, all those, I mean, those two first two examples of stories that I shared were super impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I mean, in college, you were a quarterback, an award-winning quarterback uh, at that, you know, sports obviously took up a lot of your time. You went straight into the workforce, into a sales role afterwards. One of the things that many people are thinking right now is uh, I'm trying to get a job. I don't have, I might be pivoting in the middle of my career. I might be early on in my career. I don't have a lot of work experience. What were the things that really allowed you to be able to make that jump pretty seamlessly? Yeah, I think I'm, that's a lot. I love that question. Cause I was ironic. Your timing is perfect. Cause I was just talking to a college last week about this. It's funny when we're in college, we don't realize what we're learning. You know, whether you're a college athlete or not, or you got a job, whatever, whatever it may be. But college to me taught me time management and discipline two very important skills that employers want to see. Are you show up on time? Do you do what you're just saying you're going to do? Do you treat people well? Are you easy to be around? Right. It doesn't matter. You might be the smartest econ guy or finance guy or, or, you know, whatever female, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but what matters is your emotional intelligence and working with people. And so for me, I think as, if, as I go speak to people or colleges, I'm, I'm, I'm reminding them about the things that you do have. So like, for example, I mean, I, I know all of our listeners might not be college athletes, but I'll just use football, for example, because it's easy for me. You should, are you, are you showing up for weightlifting time? Are you showing up for a meeting time? Are you going to study hall? Um, are you, are you showing up on the, the sub meeting team for your position? Like all those things employers want to, want to hear because you're, you're, multi, you're learning them to manage different schedules. You're managing not only your job, which is maybe the school, but you're also managing this other job, which is, this, your activity, your club, your sport, whatever it may be. And so challenging yourself to think about skills that even though you might not have quote unquote job experience, you have the same skills that employers are going to need for you to be successful in something else, which I think allows people to be transfer those skills across multiple industries. If you need, if you, maybe you, you're a pharmaceutical rep salesperson, eh, I don't really like that because it's for whatever reason, but like, again, those same core foundational uh, elements I talked about before, I think relate perfectly. So I think people listening out there, just challenge yourself and, and don't just talk about it, but write, write it down. Maybe use it at a time to inter- interact with a friend and say, Hey, give me five things you think I'm, I'm good at. What are five things you're good at? And we can kind of lend yeah, you have almost this like brainstorming session over coffee. And I found like by doing that, you can, you can really explore new ideas of areas where you might not think you're as good as you might be. Yeah. I really like that mindset in terms of almost doing like an assessment of 
And when I say assessment, I'm not talking about like one of those quizzes where you sit down and you answer a hundred questions, but really self-reflection around what are the things that get you excited? What are the things that you feel like you do well? And those could be things like you interact with other people well versus, you know, your idea of a great time might be sitting down and just cranking through an analysis or writing, um, which could be a solo activity. And I think a lot of those end up guiding where you go, where you decide to go. Um, But to your point, employers at the end of the day are looking for somebody who brings their all to work, has a lot of those, you know, intangible uh, skills and is somebody who's going to be able to learn quickly and, you know, what an exercise college is and showing learning agility. Um, and that, and that could be, you know, mid career as well for somebody who's going back, getting new certifications or somebody who's yeah. pivoting, pivoting industries and adapting, uh, quickly to a new industry. How did you choose to go into sales and account and account management path? Well, I mean, most people that get into staffing and consulting, I mean, I, I had posters on my walls as a kid of like, I couldn't wait to do that. Um, like, you know, Dan Reno and the staffing gods. I had, a, no, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, it was so funny. I, my first job was a barcoding label salesperson. Mm-hmm. I called them stickers and they're like, they're not la- stickers, Casey. I'm like, yeah, they are. They're stickers. And like, we used to like, <laughs> this is my naive. And I, and I was, I just pounded the phone, didn't really know what I was doing. And then my, I remember going to my uh, one-year review with my boss at the time. And he said, Casey, what do you want to, what, what are your goals for next year? I said, I want to double my salary. I want to be in front of the customer because I want to help build relationships. He says, Casey, man, those goals are way too aggressive for someone your age. We got to think about doing something different. And right there was the sign. This is not the place for me. My friend at the time, Kelly Hansen, had, had, had tried for like a couple months to get me to go join this company called Hall Kenyon, which was an IT staffing recruiting firm. I knew nothing about them. Mm-hmm. I interviewed nine times, still didn't quite know what they did. Uh, ended up getting the job. They ended up offering me an hourly contract sales job of $16 an hour, which I thought was just hitting the jackpot. I was like, mm-hmm. you gotta be kidding me. And, uh, which was the worst decision ever. I left a full-time job with benefits to an hourly contract sales job with benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, just j- jumping in, cause I, I realized the one thing I have is effort and attitude which is what I teach my kids, which, I, which is what I brought positivity to every environment I was around. And uh, you, you focus on those two things. Seems pretty simple, but focusing on those two things, man, great outcomes happened. And that's, and that's all I did. And I think you know, going into the uh, services industry, which is I don't have control over a lot of things, specifically our product being people, mm-hmm. uh, it, it made it difficult, right? And so like, I had to make that choice each day to, to focus on um, what... The, the positivities of what I have. And I, even there's some days it's, it was tar- hard, Vincent, to find things that are positive. And any, any salesperson out there knows what that journey is like. But, um, you know, there's some things that come to mind. You interviewed nine times there. I mean, you nine talk about times. effort and attitude. How did you control your attitude after, you know, essentially eight rejections? Well, it was, it was almost eight teases. So thankfully it wasn't rejections. It was like a nine step process. And they were like, I just don't, I just don't know if you have the right experience case. You're young, you're green. And I said, listen, I, I will out. I don't know. I don't know anything about your employers. I don't know anything about your employees here and no disrespect, Matt, but I will outwork all of them. I know that. And I was so confident in the advert because mainly because the adversity I've been through in my life. And I was, then it became more of a, a, um, a game. Like if, are you like, I'm going to bet on me. Mm-hmm. And if for them thinking that I was not the right person, it was almost like this challenge. And again, a lot of it was naive, you know, but 
there's a power to being naive at times because you, you, it keeps you optimistic and knowing that, um, like, so I always believe that someone, something is going to happen great in life. Why not me? Mm-hmm. Someone's going to do great things. Why not me? Just like I, like, for example, as a, like, as the president, I hope, I hope when I'm alive, I see our first female president. That'd be awesome. So I told my daughter, why not you? Mm-hmm. Why not you? Someone's going to go do it. And so going through that journey of, you know, no, 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 no. And I was like, just give me a chance. Give me a chance. I had to get creative, had to figure out ways to, um, keep them engaged. And thankfully they, they said, yes. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? The, the added, your attitude has such a big impact on whether or not you're going to be successful, because if your attitude is you're not going to be successful, you're not going to do the things that are necessary to be able to achieve that milestone in the first mm-hmm. place. So. Yeah. And, and attitude, I mean, again, it, it's, it's easier said than done. I think there's a deeper mindset that goes like, I, I'm a big believer in having a gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all in different stages of our life. We're all going through very difficult times with COVID. We're all going through different times as we deal with some of these uh, in, injustice and, in, you know, that are going on in America right now, which is super scary to see. And I just pray that we can get through it back to, you know, where we all, we all can find love and peace. And so, um, I don't know. I just, it just, I don't know. Those are a few things that come to mind, but it's just, um, I'm focusing on, you know, when I, when I can focus on what I'm grateful for as simple, simple as I have a roof on my head right now, I have food on my table. Like those, um, a lot of people don't have that. And again, might be naive, might be corny, but I found like when I, if I can control my mindset and just realize the things I am grateful for, um, it just helps me and I, I don't know if you do any meditation, but I do a four minute meditation thing every morning where I, the first minute is just breath work. Mm-hmm. The second minute is I have statements. The third minute is I am statements. And the fourth minute is I will statements. And usually those are attacking my own personal gaps that I feel like I want to get better at. So for example, yeah. like pa- patience is something I sometimes struggle with. So I, I tell myself, I will be patient today. I am patient. I have patience. And so, um, I don't know. Power of mind is a muscle that I always say it's a muscle, but it's not. It's, it's a muscle. We don't work out enough. We don't exercise enough. And there's just so much more power in our heads that we don't give ourselves credit for. And I think it, it looks different for every single person in terms of how that comes to life. You know, for me, there's a mobile app that's called day one that just sends you push notifications, reminds you just to do a little bit of quick journaling and hmm. you know, it could, it could be something where you literally just press a microphone button and you speak into it. It could be you're uploading a photo of something else, or it could be, you know, traditional journaling where you're, you're typing into it. And I think for me, you know, I wish I was as rigid as, uh, doing something structured like that every single day at the beginning of the day. But the reality is the, the mobile reminder, uh, the, you know, the notification popping up on my phone is a good reminder um, I love that. It's called day one. Yeah, it's called day one. We'll put a link Check to it uh, in the show notes. It's tough though, Casey, like, you know, I don't know about you and your family, but you know, for our family, you know, we're having one of the roughest years that, that at least for me, like, you know, in memory that I can remember, I think it is a good reminder uh, that we should take the time to express gratitude and, and to look at, you know, even during the toughest times that there's still things to be thankful uh, for. And I think even saying that is a lot easier than in practice doing it. Yeah, it's, it's um, good habits are great to build. And um, I think finding 
Like I, I'm a, it's funny. My wife always gives me a hard time. Like she goes, why are you always just, you're always looking for these get better things and, and mindset. Why can't you just read a book? That's like mindless, like a, you know, and I, and I do like that. And I think she's got a point. I do have to have balance, but I just, I am so addicted to the feeling of positivity and I love giving it away because it just brings, no matter what we're going through, um, you know, like Maya Angelou is one of my favorite, uh, favorite people. I, I love, well, she has a great, a great quote. I, I talk about often about, it's like, not what you say, why you said it, but it's how you made people feel, mm-hmm. you know, or it's how do people feel when they leave the, when you leave the room and you know, no one's gonna, I've yet to find anybody in business that grew every single year. I've yet to see, you know, look at, I mean, think about right now, think who would have ever thought doctors would be potentially getting furloughed yeah. based on right now. And that's happening right now. I mean, pilots, like some of these, you think are the safest jobs out there. Um, but what we don't, what we do have control over again is just, you know, our mind and our, and the power of just, you know, finding the small grateful things we can every day. I know that sometimes doesn't get always the bills paid, which is a sad reality for people. But, um, I think if we can focus on that mindfulness, which hopefully will help some of the, the mental struggles that people are going through. As you think through your career and how you landed in those positions, how did that come to be? Like, how did you end up at those companies? You mentioned one earlier where it was a friend that encouraged you to apply. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to understand your journey uh, yeah. in terms of the path. If you, were, if you were somebody else listening, like how could they re-engineer that path? Well, I, I, well, I, I can only speak to a life as a salesperson, so, which I, I, I sold for 15 years um, before I got into sales management, sales strategy. And the, the, the biggest thing that helped me stay focused and positive and driven was staying close to the customer, reminding myself why the lights are on, not because what we as a company think we should do. It's based on what our customers, what problem we're going to help them solve, what problem exists, how are we going to be different or unique? How, what are we going to do to um, build uh, you know, those strong relationships that are going to carry me through anything? And, and I was always focused on the customer. I didn't ever let the, what internal things people thought would matter. And unfortunately, I think that's a mistake a lot of companies make. They, they base ideas or strategies on what they think is the best perception versus just simply ask your customers, hey, this is what we're thinking. Tell me how this might impact you. Tell me, tell me why you don't think this is a good idea. And it sounds simple, but I don't think a lot of companies do it. Um, and so I moved in. I was, you know, had, thankfully, had a lot, of, a lot of success. I was surrounded by a lot of great teammates. I was our number one rep for 10 years in a row nationally. And then, like I said, moved into this sales role, sales management strategy where I could help coach, um, teach, which was one of the most impactful times in my career. At the end of it was, you know, working with sales leaders and working with our top performers on just trying to help them get unstuck. And um, I think, you know, a roundabout way of answering a question is just, I think when you focus on the customer and you focus on, and, 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 and I always crack up real quick. I'll say this when people say, Oh, I don't like sales. I'm not in sales. I'm like, BS, everybody's in sales. You just don't realize it. And no matter if you're the, if you're in engineering, if you're in the warehouse, if you're the front desk, challenge yourself to understand what, what does our company do? Why, why are we here? What problem do we solve? Because what happens if that, if you're the front desk administrator and you're in the elevator and one of you, the most, I dream companies comes along and you have a chance to talk to them and, and you're that first, uh, first, um, you know, impression and you don't know what you do. And that maybe that's your, maybe that's his or hers next chance to get out of the front desk and get into sales and you just crush an opportunity. Like, um, so for me, I, I always just focus on that. And by doing that, it really helped me kind of keep 
growing and moving and then opportunities just um, opened up. I think, again, it goes back to what I was, because I was positive. People like positive people. And what's really interesting there is uh, your comment that everybody's in sales and the reality of it is a salesperson knows that they're selling themselves and their career opportunities. But for everybody mm -hmm. else, it might not be abundantly apparent that when you're going through a job search, when you're transitioning in your career, every single one of those times you're, you're selling yourself. That's what a resume fundamentally does is yeah. advertises yourself. Yep. Well, not only that, but I always think, I always, even if people want to argue with me on that, I'm like, okay, so you're married and they'll be, yeah. Okay. So you want Mexican, she wants Chinese. Who's going to win? Someone's going to sell somebody. She's going to win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone's got to sell like, Hey, I, I need to convince my wife that me playing golf on Sundays is going to be her idea, not mine. Right. I mean, we're all selling, we all are selling, you know, but it's selling is about my favorite form of sales is not what you sell, but what questions you ask. Mm -hmm. That was really pounded into my brain through the Socratic method of leadership. I think, you know, some one simple goal I had, Vincent, and a lot of the meetings I would have when I'd go meet the customer would be, I wanted them, I wanted them, I wanted to hear the phrase, Casey, that was a great question because I made him think. And um, I might not be memorable with the products we have or services we have, but if I made them think, I'm, they're going to remember me, which helps them remember the brand I, I'm, I'm representing. That's something that's pretty common. Um, and I mean, if anybody who's read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the biggest takeaways, my biggest takeaways out of that book is that to make a good impression, it's actually about asking better questions and not actually how smart you sound or something intelligent that you actually say. It's, it's something that you ask. Yeah, it's, and, and which goes back to preparation, mm -hmm. which goes back to, are you going to be that person that's surprised when your client picks up the phone and, and you're just pounding your goals, your boss had make 300 phone calls, so you're doing it. But when they finally pick up, you're not ready. And you're like, uh oh, shoot, uh, bad connection. You hang up. Like, mm -hmm. have you put some thought into, because yeah, when you, when you, when you're prepared, um, and, and a lot of times preparation goes back to something else that people probably don't at times want to talk about, which is one of the words an exercise that most companies don't do well is practice. Right? We don't role play enough. We don't practice these conversations. What like you don't just get good at asking good questions. You have to practice asking good questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And I write like wrote in my book and I talked about this when I, when I coach and speak to people is when we're not practicing with each other. We're practicing on our customers. And how would they feel if you told them that? So for somebody going through a job search right now, you know, informational interviews are a big part of what you're, you're told you should be doing, like as you go into a conversation with somebody that you don't know well, or it might even be your first time meeting with them, what advice would you give to somebody in terms of how to research and how to naturally ask questions? Yep. Obviously, I mean, the, the simple answer is LinkedIn, simple answer is Google, but find, I'd find a couple of things you can connect with maybe personally. So do research, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, like find things that you can see this person, what he or she might be doing in their personal life. It's really easy to find internet's an amazing tool, right? Find out what's going on in their industry. Find out what challenges are going on in the industry and then ask um, open-ended questions. I always like asking questions that are follow the TED philosophy, which is tell me, explain, or describe. Not do you, should you, have you, because you're, you're asking for closed-ended questions. And it, it allows you to help create two words, which I think lead to trust. If, if you can have commonality and you can find then commonality leads to rapport, those two things equal trust, right? Because you're showing you, you're showing you it's about, you know, you and I joked before we started recording about 
the bank. Like if you have to in- deposit and you invest in the other person before they're going to give you anything back or you're going to ask for anything. So I think, and, and those are great things you can practice with. It's your mom, if your dad living at home or your friend, like role play with them, like get comfortable doing these things. Or even I used to r- record myself on my phone, like record what you sound, what you, what you sound like. Cause what I would challenge people, don't be one of those people that say, Oh, I don't want to practice. Cause that's not how I sound like that in front of the customer. And I, I challenge you said, yeah, you do. Right. The, the more you practice, the more we get comfortable asking these questions about the research you want to do about whatever these people may be doing in their career. That's how I think you're going to sound more authentic, more conversationalist. And people are going to people like talking to people who are confident and, and confidence only comes from doing the things I talked about before. It's really interesting as you say that, you know, I, I went back to the nine interviews that you did and considering the possibility that the first date might have been practiced for that ninth interview. And that's where we're going to end today's part one of this episode with Casey Jacox. He's a coach, author, and podcaster. You can check out his book called Win the Relationship, Not the Deal on Amazon. If you're a father, you can also check out his podcast for fathers, which is called The QB Dadcast. And we'll be back next week with part two of this episode with Casey Jacox. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If this podcast was helpful to you, the best thing that you can do to support is please consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people just like you move towards the life that they desire. Visit our podcast on Apple Podcasts, then scroll to the bottom, tap the rate with five stars, and just leave a sentence or two about what you loved most about this episode. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can write at hello at viton.com. I'm Vincent Fanvan, and you've been listening to How I Got Here. This podcast is brought to you by Viton Career Coaching.